Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of The Lost. And today, Razor, that's him, and Chad, that's me, are going to cover the finale of Jax. The finale of Jax. Blah. <laughs> this time, we'll be covering everything that Jax has been in in outside media. Comics, movies, TV shows, you name it. We're here to cover it. So... I suppose we should start back in the beginning. Back before the MK movie was a thing, we had the Malibu comics. Now, Jax is in the Malibu comics quite a fair bit. I had to do a lot of uh, reviewing and revisiting before we actually started this thing here tonight. I was actually reading Malibu Jax content for about a good hour and a half. He's in most of the stuff. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because as much as he's in it, like... Other than a bunch of really, like, poorly drawn, ridiculous faces, the only real scene that I remember about Jax is the one where he's, like, working out, and then Kintaro comes in. <laughs> That's about like... midway through. <laughs> he makes his first appearance in Mortal Kombat, Goro, the Prince of Pain, three-issue miniseries. Uh, Malibu didn't really waste any time getting the stuff out of the gate. Their first series was Blood and Thunder, and like two or three issues into that, uh, Goro gets zapped off by Zagat the God of Chaos. So, while this is happening, like they're, they're also launching Goro Prince of Pain. Two, two, two comic series on the floor at once. And we first see Goro in Prince of Pain because he's, he's in the China Sea, and he's looking for Sonya, who, you know... Because at this time, she's already on the island and all that stuff has happened. And it's interesting to note that like his superiors, he says, did not actually okay the search for her. He's just doing this of his own accord. So his boat hits a rock. He goes overboard. His head hits a rock. And there's the usual stuff about him being, you know, the strongest man and da-da-da. And like, you know, he's not going to go down because of this. And he washes up on, on Shang Tsung's island shore... And the art is terrible, and he's just like this huge rectangle of a man flexing on the beach, all angry. <laughs> there was a, I would say, I would say the art style of the Malibu comics often greatly surpassed the reputation of Rob Liefeld and his uh, copycats. <laughs> there were like four or five artists total on this thing. And the main one for a lot of it was Patrick Rollo who did a lot of the official character artwork for video games and, well, well for the uh, strategy guides and whatnot. He actually had a lot of MK3 drawings that were in uh, one or two strategy guides. I think it, maybe, it might have been issues of Game Fan. Yeah, I, I specifically remember I have the, um, like, the collector's guide. It's not a strategy guide. It's a bunch of, like, articles and interviews with Ed and John about each character. And, like, every single page except for one character. And I think it was, um, I can't even remember which one it was. It might have been, like, Cabal or somebody. Just one random person in the middle of the book had Tobias art. And every single other character's art was Malibu. And um, I remember it standing out amongst my collection of strategy guides as that's the one with the bad art. <laughs> oh, that's mean. Patrick Rillo's not that bad. I... Honestly, I'm sure. I, I think I think he's MK's forgotten artist. I'm sure that he has done great work, like 
before the Liefeld copying became a trend and after it went out of style, but in that brief window... Eh. <laughs> you might be thinking of Kiki Chansamani. Chansamani was, was another major artist, and I don't know if Kiki was a, was a lady or a dude, but their shit was terrible. Chansamani was the one that like drew everyone ridiculously over muscled with like tiny muscles on their muscles and like everybody's just so angular back in the 90s is the thing that gets me when chansamani drew people with masks on you could see like the whole outline of their faces and mouths underneath the mask it was just <laughs> i do i do really, remember those really those hideous so that wasn't our boy patrick rollo one of these days i'm gonna like go through all the patrick rollo artwork i have and make, make like an mk artwork pdf because he's overlooked I think he actually does commissions. I remember seeing that a couple of years ago. I, I, there were some pretty dynamic poses. I will grant that. I just I just mainly remember everybody looking like their muscles are made of triangles and stuff like that. It's all just so, like, <laughs> sharp. <laughs> okay, so Jack's, uh, Jack's watched the Shang Island. And, like, in the next issue, the sorcerer Shang Tsung is enjoying an afternoon repast on his island home well aware that he is about to receive a special visitor. So Shang's sitting here with a little feast in front of him on a table, and there's two palace guards who are, like, really buff and dressed in red. I don't think this happens anywhere else. So they're not wearing the, the traditional mask guard outfit, the yellow robes and the fox mask? They're wearing the fox masks, but they're red. They're just really Weird. red. <laughs> like, they don't look like they're wearing robes so much as, like, uh-uh. I don't know. Like, low-market G.I. Joe Cobra Ninja outfits. Hmm. So Shang's here, and he's like, Come, come. We've been expecting you, young man. I'm happy to see that you survive your accident at sea. Listen, my name is Major Jackson Briggs, U.S. Special Forces. I'm looking for an American female named Sonya Blade. You must be famished. Sit and eat. Then we shall talk. So Jax grabs, like, a leg of turkey or whatever is on the, on the table. You don't see it clearly. And he takes the angriest fucking bite of turkey I've ever seen. There's just <laughs> so much rage in his eyes with, while, while he looks Shang Tsung in the eye. And, like, after this single bite, he just smashes the table in with his two fists. There! I've had something to eat. And for dessert, I'd like a little cooperation! <laughs> See, this is what I was talking about, how the main thing I remember about Jackson Malibu was the facial expressions, because they always drew him, like, just, like, Hulk-like, consumed with anger, and, yeah. like, open mouth, and you can see more teeth than a human should have. <laughs> <laughs> and they always drew that's the one thing, like, I've, I've talked about before how it kind of bugs me. The, the difference between in-game uh, John Parrish Jax, who had a mustache... And Tobias Art Jax never had the mustache. Malibu never drew the mustache either. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons that I got kind of used to it a, a, a lot in the early days. I, I remember suppose. when MK4 came along, him having a goatee kind of weirded me out a little bit, but I got used to it. And then Deadly Alliance came along. and, and <laughs> Yeah, see, he went back to clean-shaven in-game in Deadly Alliance, and it doesn't really look good at all, does yeah, it? <laughs> we, we talked about that last time. It's like part of the way the models are. He's also he's got that super weathered like fifty year old man face. <laughs> so Shang Tsung gives uh, Jax an orb, and he's like, "So Goro took Sonya, 
they're in Outworld somewhere. I need you to go get them for me. When you find them, touch the stone and speak my name. The stone never comes up again, by the way. <laughs> of course it doesn't. Uh, so, you know, he's using Jax to go find Goro, because without Goro, the tournament can't happen, and Shao Kahn and others just has been very displeased about that. So he zaps Jax so, off to Outworld. That does, that does raise a question. So status quo-wise, what's, like... What are Liu Kang and Johnny Cage up to right now? Everybody's just sitting on the island for weeks waiting for there to be a tournament because Goro bailed. Uh, or did uh, they all Jesus. go home? Because I remember there's a lot of scenes of them like in their normal lives in the Malibu. Like Liu Kang had that job. He's got like a San Francisco apartment and he's like an artist. <laughs> that takes place a little bit later. Back on the island, everyone is, like, pissing over themselves, trying to get a hold of the magical book called the Tao Te Zan. Oh, right. They're and, like, all, they're they're all like, trying to beat each other up for it, like, solve its riddles and gain ultimate power. I have forgotten just how long exactly the Tao Te Zan subplot went on for. <laughs> this is all happening concurrently with that. Uh, all of this happens in, like... I believe we mentioned before, like, we have the gods of chaos and order, Abacus and Zagat. Right, right. And so Zagat brought Goro to the realm for reasons to wreak havoc and shit, and Abacus is like, you know, I don't particularly care for what he's up to. Here's a giant ass Rob Liefeld gun that Goro uses in this at the end of this very same issue. Indeed, indeed. So all of this shit's happening, and, like, you've got uh, Katana, Baraka, and Reptile, who are, like... It's also been sent to find Goro, I think. And then Zagat creates this monstrosity called the Combatants out of the DNA of... Well, I don't know. <laughs> oh, like, he uses magic to like mix all seven original Outworld. It's, it's all terrible. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's terrible. He has like one limb from every character, and you can only tell by the wristbands and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking butt ugly. So by this time, we're at issue three of Prince of Pain, and like Goro's got the gun, and he just destroys the Combatants. And, you know... Zack gets all pissed off about it, and then he then he mind controls Baraka out of rage into attacking Goro, and this is where Jax shows up. Those things look sharp, boy. What you see, we put them away for a while. I'm Jax to my friends, but since I don't ever want you as a friend, you can call me Major Jackson Briggs, U.S. Special Forces. An old dude sent me here. I'm looking for Goro, so he he fights Baraka, and some of this dialogue is just precious. You are one butt ugly mother. You know that? Man, you make my Aunt Tilly look good. And she's got hair growing out of her lips. <laughs> Baraka, shut your mouth. Most folks like my voice. I sing in the church choir back home. If you like, I can teach you how to sing. First, we'll start with the high note. And he just kicks Baraka in the nuts. Of course he does. That's. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that, like, I think, like, the, the next issue of Battle of uh, Blood and Thunder... Because, like, after this, it goes into issue six of Blood and Thunder. Johnny Cage punches him really hard in the nuts, and Baraka says it doesn't hurt. I don't think there's ever been a scene in all of fiction where during a fight someone mentioned either high notes or singing soprano and then didn't kick the person in the nuts. <laughs> right? Uh, he takes down he takes down Baraka with, like, a, a ground pound and, like, a roundhouse kick. The narration is like, Jack ain't happy. His partner's lost, he can't find her, his ship was wrecked on his way to Shang Tsung's Island, and he almost drowned. And now he's been attacked by a homicidal mutant. He's mad because not one damn thing has gone right on this mission. And when Jax ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> so Reptile, like, jumps him and spits acid at him. 
And he's about to finish him off. Before Goro, like, thwacks Before they can do, do anything else, Shao Kahn, out of nowhere, just zaps everyone back to the island. Now that they're all in the same place, I guess. Quit fucking around. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and before they all disappear, Jax is like, you know, the old dude said you took Sonya. I want to know where she is. And they don't have time to resolve anything because they all get whisked back to Shanghai's Island, except for Goro, who gets sidetracked by Zagat, who's not done with him. And then, long story short, Zagat turns into a monster crow, and then Goro refuses to fight him because that would be chaotic. And the lack of chaos makes Zagat weaker, and he eats Zagat. So, <laughs> now that that's done with, we go back to issue six of Battle Wave, where everyone just um, winds up back on the island. And at that point, it's basically a free-for-all. No, no, wait, no. Not Battle Wave. From there, we go into the first Tournament Edition book. Which is their excuse to get yeah. everyone just kind of fighting in the same place. The Malibu comics were a bit labyrinthine to follow. It's <laughs> not that, that bad. Because there's only like five or six or seven, I don't know, something like that series. Well, it's but... yeah, it's told in a, in a collection of mini-series instead of one ongoing. <laughs> Yeah. So, and it's after... like the titles don't exactly tell you what order, like tournament edition and then battle wave. They couldn't just number. No, they them. really don't. It's like uh it's Blood and Thunder, Goro Prince of Pain at roughly the same time. Then it's tournament edition number one. Where then does it's... where does Raiden and Kano fit in? <laughs> I'm not sure. Actually, I have to go and check that out later. Jax does not appear in Raiden and Kano apart from like a brief hallucination sequence or dream Kano was having at the beginning where he murders both him and Sonya. That's it for that. Also, the, the, all the art for that is done by Kika Chinsamani and it's fucking terrible. So I'm glad I don't have to look <laughs> at that. So the tournament edition issue... After Khan's teleported everyone here, Jax just starts fighting Sub-Zero for absolutely no reason. And there's more precious dialogue like... Hey, brother, Jax's mama didn't raise no fools. And he freezes Jax, and he jump kicks him. And they have their banter, and Jax is like, okay, try that again. My mama had another saying, don't mess with the big dog. And Sub-Zero, you done gone and went with the mess, mess with the big dog. And he just kind of gotcha grabs Sub-Zero, who's acting like a real like they wuss. they had in front of them a list of cliches, and they yeah. were just checking down the list <laughs> and of course he's talking about him in the, in, himself in the first person the way everyone does in these things mm -hmm. even in his weakened state Jax is still stronger than a bull and you know he stuns him with another like ground pound then he actually grabs With him by weapons, you are no match for Motaro <laughs> <laughs> and he's like that's me boy you make it snow I make it quake no you cannot I am of the house of the Lin Kuei yeah, yeah, and I'm of the house of Mrs. Wanda Lee Briggs. You trying to tell me that your house is nicer than my house? I kind of like that one. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I'd love to stay in play subs, but all this talk about my mama has reminded me that I gotta try and find a telephone and give her a call. And he just also, knocks out Sub-Zero. I will point out that there are no other sources of canon that say what Jax's mom's name is, so let's go with Wanda Lee. <laughs> I like it. I like let's it. It actually one. does work. So a bunch of shit we're not going to talk about happens. It's basically a free-for-all. And uh, by the end of this entire thing, Goro himself gets hold of the Tao Tezan and solves the final riddle. And then he kind of like just becomes unstoppable and he just starts wailing on everyone. 
and Shang Tsung and Raiden like fuse their powers together, I guess. Raiden zaps him and Shang saps the strength from him and Now here here's and that's my it. question. If Goro beats everybody up, wouldn't he win the tournament? Isn't that good for Shang? <laughs> oh, but see, this isn't the tournament. I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. It gets better. It gets better. You're gonna love this bit. <laughs> so at the end of this, after Goro gets taken down, Johnny, Jax, Sonia, Liu Kang, and Kung Lao are on a boat heading outwards. And they've got Kano there, and Jax is arresting him. He's in cuffs. And Sonya's like, one more word out of him, Jax. Do you have my permission to throw him overboard? Okay, this is where it gets really funny. Sonya goes, aren't you upset you didn't get a chance to win the big tournament, Johnny? Well, there'll be another tournament someday, and I'll be back. Anyway... Meanwhile, so the tournament's over. <laughs> hang on, it, it, it gets better. Back on Shang Tsung's island, Goro and Shang Tsung are like talking, and Goro goes, "I don't understand. I have the power in my grasp." And Shang Tsung goes, "It is quite simple, Goro. I could not take the chance. Even with once I trust as much as you, the Tao Te no longer matters. It's time for us to plan, plan for the return of Mortal Kombat." So, clearly they didn't have the tournament. They specify in further issues Liu Kang beat Goro. You, so MK1 happens in the middle of all this shit after what we've just gone through. Apparently without Kano because there's an issue coming up where he gets out of prison. So it's either they had MK1 without Kano so I, I don't the product know. is supposed to be depicting stuff that doesn't happen, like, around the game, and then the game happens off-screen? Yeah, pretty much. It's all very, very convoluted. Anyhow. Convoluted is the word, yeah. <laughs> following this, there's a two-issue series called Mortal Kombat U.S. Special Forces, and it's all terrible. Basically... Sonya and Jax are hunting a, a, a black dragon group who's who's been le who, who are led by this guy named Rojack. And <laughs> the thing I remember about this because I actually I, I read this stuff earlier and uh, my, my you know Rojack is not my head hurts. I mean it fits in with like names like Jarek and Tazia and Cabal. There's I a C see in there. It's literally R O and the name Jack. It's it's awful. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's horrible. But anyways, uh, long story short, the Black Dragon have uh, found a bunch of ancient stone artifacts called... What the fuck were they again? The Kitai. A bunch of ancient stone artifacts called the Kitai, which were worshipped... Yes, worshipped by a bunch of shadowy islanders. A tribe of islanders in shadowy cloaks. They open portals to other realms and they loot shit. So this is what the Black Dragon want to do and they have like a billion dollars in gold already from doing this. It's the... Uh, it's the... Sankara stones from Temple of Doom. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> now, what, the other things I remember from this awful shit show was that at the beginning of the first issue, Sonya's like radioing to Jax about how they're about to bust the Black Dragon. And literally on the next page, Jax is in the fight with them. Somehow. Like, <laughs> was she was she radioing him from inside the nearby van? What? It's like, it's like Jarek's ending. He was five feet away. <laughs> Pretty much. So, uh, long story short, uh, the Black Dragon lay out a trap, and 
Jax finds a black dragon comm and he follows the signal. Then he gets tailed by a black dragon van. Then the van runs his van off the road and there's some horrible dialogue about how that van doesn't want to snuggle with us or some shit. I'm not going to go back and read that right now. <laughs> they can't all be winners. <laughs> no. And they can't Jax... all be, are you saying your house is nicer than my house? <laughs> That's a winner. It is. That's a good one. I like it. <laughs> so Jax and Agent Mika Stone get kidnapped by the Black Dragon who put a bunch of shock, who put some shock collars on them, which don't get brought up again because they want to use oh, it as guinea we... pigs to go get gold through the portals because apparently the portals close too quickly. It's all Can terrible. we talk for a second about the uh, the Special Forces NPCs that Malibu introduces? I, I don't want to, but I guess we have to. <laughs> I just, I want to talk about, like, the, the silent ninja girl in the Kabuki mask. Oh, I think God. her name was literally Silence, and it's spelled with a Y. <laughs> yes, it was. Ugh. <laughs> like, I... The, the only one that were, I really know they were trying well. to have their own GI Joe. The thing that gets me is the one called Torque, because he's basically like, basically like a buff Eon Spangler with two metal arms. <laughs> yeah. And Sonya's partner, who dies in the Malibu version, is named Sparky, and he was in the, Sparky, like the first battle yeah. wave, first or second not battle wave, the first or second Blood and Thunder issues, and he also had metal arms. All of this was before Jax had metal arms, so I've always wondered. Yeah, did they know, or, <laughs> like, was it supposed to be foreshadowing, or a weird coincidence, or was it's... it, like, a reverse inspiration, like, Tobias thought of the arms because Malibu did it, you know? I've always wondered, you know? A lot of stuff from outside of media kind of gets brought in, like the Lin Kuei symbol from Conquest. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of feel safe in saying that the Malibu comics might be the inspiration for Jack's having metal arms. That's possible. I know I know that the original intention when they created Jax in MK2, and we talked about this in a previous episode, was he was going to have metal gloves because they really wanted it to have clanking sound effects yeah. when he punched people. So it could be just like a coincidence that they thought, well, why don't you know we go with fully metal arms because we can finally do that clanking sound effect. So anyway, this whole thing happens, and they throw uh, Rojack through a portal, and they throw uh, his stones after him, and none of it has anything to do with anything else. There's a side story in these two issues where Kano gets out of prison. That's all that matters. And they don't really show how he escapes, but... The game. <laughs> he, he has a bunch of Black Dragons, like, stage an attempt to escape from the prison, and Sonya and Jax go and, like, go and take them on. And Sonya tackles a guy who's dressed exactly like Kano, but he doesn't have the metal stuff on his face. And meanwhile, over to the west, Kano's getting in a, hel in a helicopter. That's it. He just used everyone as a diversion. I mean, that is more elaborate than the video game did it, where it's just the opening cutscene is a wall blowing up and everybody's getting out of a prison. <laughs> so from there, uh, the next chronological thing is Battle Wave. I think MK1 is supposed to happen around this. You get uh, Liu Kang in downtown Chicago at his art studio talking to Johnny Cage. And uh, yeah, Jax is lifting weights. He's at 499, 500. And then Goro just busts in, turns off the lights, and just smacks him around and like hits him really hard with, it, with, with his own dumbbell. And I guess this is their... This, along with like the assault on Liu Kang by a bunch of random ninjas... Uh, no, no, wait. Was that, was, were the ninjas before or after this? 
No, no, the ninjas I, are here. Liu Kang gets assaulted by random ninjas. Yeah, Liu is in it. Liu is doing his art, and uh, Johnny Cage's bodyguard Bo was there, and the ninjas attack, and they're like throwing them out the window, and it's like a high-rise apartment. <laughs> so yeah, this is their way to like, I guess, get them all back into Outworld. Now, following that, uh, okay, yes, following this, Jax winds up in the hospital. And this is where Smoke and Jade come in. Right. Because in the Malibu comics, Smoke and Jade, this is, again, far before UMK3. Here, Smoke and Jade are kind of wannabe Shao Kahn groupies who want who want into the inner circle. But they're just not good at anything that they do, it seems. <laughs> that is a choice. So yeah, Jax is like in the ICU, in the in intensive care ward. And... Jade and Smoke pop up, and Jade assaults a nurse, and she's like, What's the matter, Missy? You look a little green. And, you know, Smoke, Smoke, Smoke pops up, and he says toasty, because he says that in every single scene. Yeah, that's, that's the Smoke's thing in Malibu. Does he ever say anything else, or can he only say the word toasty? No, he, he has dialogue. You okay. have done well, Jade. Now we shall prove ourselves to Shao Kahn. So yes, both Smoke and Jade sitting next to Jack, standing standing over Jackson a hospital bed, and they don't get done. Jade charges her fist with green energy. Smoke has a smoky hand, and they both like aim for a karate chop and a punch to his head. And he catches both of their arms, pulls them in, in so that their heads hit each other, and this bothers them so much, and they get so worried. That Smoke makes a portal himself. Literally saying, Portal, I will meet you in Goro's lair. He, they don't. They never go to Goro's <laughs> lair again. This is just... This I, is just they're, a they're trying to get dialogue. all of the beats from MK2. Okay, so Smoke involves uh, the portal stage, Goro's lair, yeah. the living forest. <laughs> Pretty much. Just, just get it all in. Just... What else do we know about him? Fucking nothing. <laughs> so, next issue. He's in a plane with Johnny Cage. Because, you know, Sonya's disappeared. And, like, they, again. And they want to go find her. Again. And Johnny's talking about how the studio threatened to sue when like, when the production stopped. Because like, he got attacked. And da 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 And Jax's head is in bandages. And at this point, he's wearing the original MK2 outfit. Like, the full thing. Like, the, the John Tobias comic get-up. With, with yeah, the shirt with too. the shirt. Yeah. So, there's some absolutely horrific art here, and Smoke and Jade pop up again, and Smoke has sabotaged the cockpit. It should also be mentioned that... Well, no, I guess I'll say that for the Jade at re retrospective in the future, but yeah. Jade's interesting in these issues. Smoke says Toasty again. On to the next <laughs> issue of Battle Wave. Smoke's saying Toasty again. And... Johnny and Jade go at it, and he kind of takes her out with a kick to the back of the head. And my favorite moment in the entire Malibu comic series comes up here. It's my boy Smoke taking a hard L, but it's so it's so well executed. Smoke's like, you are big and strong, mortal, but strength shall not prevail against Smoke. Yo, Johnny, what was the name of that movie again? Oh yeah, I remember. Gone with the Wind. And he punches a hole in the side of the plane... And sucks smoke out. 
Jade grabs a parachute and goes after him. I uh, I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's so wonderful. Uh, Rain stops the plane from crashing, brings them over to Shang Tsung's... Actually, no. He brings them into Outworld. Raiden opens a portal to Outworld, and they go through. Ah, uh, what the hell happened after? You know, it occurs to me that they missed a chance to uh, to repeat this uh, this clever sequence in MKX by having Scorpion and Sub Zero attack the helicopters at the beginning Missed instead of having man. Smoke be there. <laughs> uh, so while this is happening, Sony and a bunch of special forces guys find Shang's Island again, and they basically get slaughtered by Kintaro. Who knocks Sonya out, takes her away. This is, this is what's happening to Sonya in the meantime. Cause... Uh, Sonya pretty much, from the sound of it, spends the entirety of Malibu Comics being kidnapped. She gets kidnapped, she gets released, she gets kidnapped. Yeah, pretty much. And this time, I... it's because Shao Kahn wants to marry her. Right, right. So that was... Malibu kind of had the idea for how Khan with Sindel cheats the rules. They had it first. But their plan was, what if he marries someone from Earthrealm? <laughs> so they kidnap Sonya, and Reptile reveals that he has, like, the, the snake from the Jungle Book's hypnosis powers. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So when they finally get to Outworld, they find, like, Liu Kang and Bo are already there. They've gone there separately. And they find Siang who's under control of Scorpion, if I remember right at this point. Right, right. On the and, verge and of killing them. don't know, Siang is what happens when two uh, Shaolin monks sing and sang do the fusion dance. <laughs> yeah, he died in, like, issue... five or six of Blood and Thunder, I want to say. Siang basically... Well, Goro kind of smashed both of their heads together, and one of them died, and the other one is like, this is the only chance I have to save both of our lives. And they fused, yeah, so they, one they of them dead. fusion danced, but now that they're half undead, they can be controlled by a magic undead controlling gem that Scorpion has. A lot of these gems and amulets in, uh, in Malibu. It also <laughs> yes, set a precedent. It's, uh, it's MacGuffin City in these fucking books. <laughs> <laughs> so, they get to Outworld, and they take down Sayang, and they make him accompany him to Shao Kahn's fortress. And, like, once, once everyone's kind of gathered there... Shao Kahn is like, okay, now the party's all started. Now we're going to have our hunt for the amulet to decide who is the Mortal Kombat champion because we're not going to do this through a tournament. We're going to do it via, you know, a game of, like, King of the Castle. Yeah, they have to, they have to race up a mountain to get a, to get a medallion. <laughs> the only people who spend any time on the mountain are Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Everyone else just immediately starts fighting each other. Because <laughs> that's how these things work. Baraka is on the Earthrealm team because, like we've covered, like we've covered before, with Scorpion having his own undead army because of this Death Stone thing he picked up. Right. Like Shao Kahn really didn't need the Tarkatans anymore. They weren't called Tarkatans at the time. Just the Outworld mutants. Right. The the word Tarkatan, as I'm pretty sure we mentioned, was not invented until Deception. Before yeah. that, they were just called the the mutants or the nomads. Correct. So, after about five minutes with the Earthrealmers, Baraka decides, you all talk too much, I hate you all, and he decides to just start attacking them. And in the middle of this, uh, this is his rematch with Jax, and he just brings both blades up and slices Jax underneath his armpits. 
He gets uh, knocked off during this whole free-for-all. Kung Lao tries to heal him, but then they get ambushed by Kintaro and Kano. And Kintaro decides to pick up Jax and break his spine. Not kill him, just break his spine a little bit. He specifies this. Just a little bit. <laughs> and Jax has just enough left in him to backfist Kintaro to knock him out with one hit, because he's that strong. And then he whispers over to Sony. Looking at Kung Lao, he says that when we get back, we're going to get him some metal arms. And that's it. That's the story of Jackson Malibu. He did a lot of stuff. He, uh... Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> took his punches. Got to spout some, uh, sweet jive talk. There are characters who did a lot worse. Uh, yeah, I will say, like, the, the jive is the thing that stands out the most. <laughs> he did not appear, Jax did not, in the Jeff Roman novel. We were talking about that before. Right, well, Sonya doesn't have a terribly large part in the Roven novel either, so... No, like, she actually, she spends most of it undercover as a Black Dragon, uh... Yeah, it's agent. weird, like, the most, the most, like, special forces-y, uh, influence the book has is that, like, Liu Kang is actually working with them as a, as, like, a consultant, like, sort of the way Johnny is in MKX, where he's, like, not a member, but he's a member, and that's really, like, it's almost... The, like, military-spy-type connection is almost more important to Liu Kang in the book than it is to Sonya. It's very strange. It was, so, it was an fun, odd choice. Fun I, think, I think he was influenced by the fact that in the movie Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee is, like, working for the government. Quite possibly. I think that if Jeff had had a bit more time and he'd gotten this... If he'd gotten a second novel, because I think he plainly wanted to do it because of how much fun he was having with the material he would have totally thrown Jax in there. Because he squeezed Baraka in there as a priest. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think it would have been really interesting to see what he would have kept doing as like the games kept creating more lore, how he would have tried to reconcile that with his own stuff. He didn't do that bad for all that he had to work with. No, it's just that when you when you're sort of starting off with this new IP where there's almost no world building yet established and you have to come up with a bunch on your own, it's inevitable that it's going to sort of take a lot of liberties and not match up as time goes on. But, like, his own his own stuff isn't bad. And it's, uh, we have noted before that he basically came up with the idea for the one being, like, pulling from actual Chinese mythology, uh, Panku... See, there's just so much of this stuff. So many, so many things that happen first. Yeah, there's a lot. It's media that they like come a... in a specific form later on. Not the same thing, but the idea is 100% the same. The crux of it is what translates. The the phrase that comes to mind when I think about like all the weirdly coincidental, like this thing had that idea before it was in a game, and did they get it from there, or did, was it a coincidence? I think it's just like convergent evolution. You know? Yeah. So does that bring us to MK1 the movie now? Right, so yeah. the Jax's next appearance in Outside Media was a cameo in the 1995 live-action film in which his name is misspelled with two X's. <laughs> I just learned something fascinating while reading Wikipedia right now, this moment. The role of Jax was apparently going to go to Steve James. Unfortunately, he died from pancreatic cancer 
and they had to recast him. Steve James was known as Kung Fu Joe in the 1980, 1988 comedy spoof film, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. And it was an amazing film. You should all watch this. Huh. I learned this just this second. That is, uh, that is interesting. You know, there's a lot of, like, this person was almost cast stories from MK1. Mm-hmm. Like, uh... Like, apparently, when they were first in talks with uh, Midway, Ed Boon vaguely recalls that one of the names floated for Raiden was Danny Clover. Oof. Wow. And um, Brandon Lee was almost Johnny Cage, but unfortunately, he died on the set of The Crow. Uh, Cameron Diaz was going to play Sonya, but she broke her wrist in training, I think it was. She broke something. I remember hearing that. Uh, I would say that one we actually lucked out. I would say Bridget is a better actress than Cameron Diaz. I've never liked Cameron Diaz, and there's something about Mary was around that time, and I thought that movie was spectacularly overrated. Oh, it's it's, it's not that great. I liked her in no. The Mask, but that was it. She was, she was good in The Mask, but it's not a large part. Okay, so Steve James was also in The Delta Force with Chuck Norris, the American Ninja series, The Exterminator, and Enter the Game of Death. Hmm. And the last film he was ever in was Weekend at Bernie's 2. Unfortunate. Well, he had a good run there. He did. So, instead, we got Gregory McKinney, who had a military background, according to Wiki, prior to becoming an actor. You know, I would say as small as his part is, he's he's a pretty believable Jax. Like he definitely looks the part. He's got yeah. that same like he he ha he looks like Tobias's mustacheless art. And and he certainly like comes across like believably actor wise as a military guy. Cause he's sort of like he's the one in the scenes with Sonya where you're establishing right off the bat that Sonya's the loose cannon and she you know, she has that line, I trust one person on this planet, me. And he's the guy who has to play off that. He he worked for the part. And I kind of, I mean, we'll get into Lynn Red Williams in Annihilation in a moment here. But I, will, I do wonder what if that same guy had come back for the second movie. You know what? Nothing against him. But I love Lynn Williams so much. <laughs> well, the part was written a lot differently in Annihilation. Because he went from being the straight man Sonya plays off of to the comedy replacing Johnny. But it kind of worked. I don't yeah. like it so much. I, I would say, I would say uh, Jax is the... I almost said best, but I actually want to say only good thing in Annihilation. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, I I like a lot of things about Annihilation. I know I shouldn't. <laughs> but it's like, when, when you expose yourself to something so often, over and over again, you, you start to love all its little quirks and eccentricities. And at this point, Annihilation is, to me, a giant quirk and or eccentricity. I mean, it's certainly one of those things where you watch it the way you would watch Cooking with Scorpion. <laughs> it's there to be funny. <laughs> no, like, no joke. 
I love Lynn Williams so much in Annihilation. Like he he straight up makes it watchable for me. If if it was not for him, I don't know if I could get through a single viewing. No, like, like he's he's really the only thing that's bringing like a genuine joy as opposed to like holy shit that's so bad it's making me laugh. He's like, trying like he's got enthusiasm for the material. He really throws himself into it. He really he really does have like a a talent for, you know, just bringing the right kind of emotion to the dialogue where it's fun. <laughs> he knows what he's been given to work with is ridiculous and he makes it work. Right. I've I've, I've got nothing but respect for the man. And I think um I think in terms of quotability, he does have all the lines. It's every, it's every <laughs> single one of them. Almost everything that comes out of his mouth in that film is solid gold. Look, you drag me out the base with some lunatic killers afterwards. Put me in a spinning ball, take me halfway around the world. If I'm gonna die today, at least tell me why. I don't even know where I am. I need you to the restaurant. I ain't got no toilet seat. I got metal things on my hands. It's on your blade. Me? I don't even know these dudes. I don't see no street signs, no mailboxes. Which temples they are the gods? <laughs> yeah, now that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm gonna make you eat that thing. Mr. Ed is mine. Yeah, now what? Yo, I take it this ain't something we can talk about. Guess not. And who the hell is Johnny? Just over and over. Like, how often have we gone over these lines and just quoted them because they're just fun to say? They are fun to say. <laughs> they're a little ridiculous, but it's a ridiculous situation, so we make the best of it. And the lines <laughs> shine through. Yeah, now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> he sells it so well. I love I love him. Lynn was also in a little publicized video called Mortal Kombat Federation of Martial Arts. Oh, Federation of Martial Arts. Yeah, that um the like the early days of dial-up internet where if you wanted to watch anything that was video, it would download for hours and it would be like two and a half minutes long. Ah, <laughs> uh, I tell you folks. Fucking real player, man. <laughs> I found out about Mortal Kombat Federation of Martial Arts like last year, and it is not something you want to spend a lot of time with. No, it's... So what they did was, this was sort of Threshold's last dying gasp with the license. And they didn't have a TV deal or anything, so they were like, okay, well, we're gonna, we're gonna do a web series on our site... And the only people they could get to be in this thing was the, uh, like, the most low-tier B cast members from, like, Annihilation and Conquest. Like, they had, they had like, the lead Quan Chi's miserable slut, Cian. <laughs> she featured in a lot of, like, fights. And I struggle to call them fights because, like... There's a famous one with uh with Lynn as Jax, where he's supposed to have a fight with Rain, and Rain doesn't show up. So it's a two minute clip yeah, of him I'm, standing. I'm looking at on, the gif like, right now. Where the hell is Rain at, huh? Where's Rain, huh? Where's Rain at? Let's go, Rain. Where you at, baby? Where's the other people, huh? This is Jack World. I'm Rain. Got nothing coming. 
he's just standing there and it's like every fight is in front of a blue screen with a like a poorly cgi background oh, for them this to is put on. so ugly i'm looking at it oh. and so it's just like a full minute two minutes of him standing there yo where's rain at where rain at huh where rain at <laughs> and he's that's the that time that's that's an entire like from bidding imagine if you waited a week to see this because you were trying to like follow the story of these shorts oh. and that's all you got that week <laughs> i just like you know at, all the shit went over my head like i didn't have upn at the time my, my access to internet was very very limited i didn't know about any of this shit till like last year or the year I'm, before i'm not entirely I think I was sure better off not martial arts stuff had a story I've never been able to like watch them in order and piece it together whether or not there was a narrative. Just a guy just, called like, Jimmy. It was, okay, Page there's in an this. MK tournament and these are the random fights in that tournament. There's literally a guy called Jimmy Cage in this. What the oh, fuck? that's right, Jimmy Cage, because they didn't have Johnny. Because <laughs> they were like, well, if we can't get Lyndon Ashby, then we're not gonna have a, another guy play Johnny, even though they'd already fucking or maybe it was because they killed Johnny off in the second movie that they decided we needed to make a new Johnny. <laughs> this does not even look like Sonya. Oh my god. Mistakes anyway. Were made. Yes, like this entire thing. And then Lynn Red Williams disappeared from the Earth for four years, came back in a movie called Middleman, and disappeared again completely. I mean, I think it's it's worth talking about the fact that Lynn and and the guy who played Motaro in Annihilation. Uh Darren McBee, is that his yes, name? Yes, that's the guy. Yeah. Those two were American gladiators. And uh that's how they sort of got involved in the production together of Annihilation. And I have no proof, but I strongly suspect that those uh, velospheres, the steel balls that oh, Luke Hang in, were an attempt to promote a similar gimmick from American Gladiators. <laughs> if I'm not mis, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, the, okay, there was actually um, about three or four Q and A session with the entire cast of Annihilation, or most of it. I'm looking at some YouTube clips right now, or just, uh... Okay, no, some of them. Robin Show was there. Uh, the girl that played Sindel was there. Mm. It does not look like they got a hold of Lynn. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, like, James Romara would show up for that. He's still working. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah, they got Sandra Hess, uh... Man, Lynn is just nowhere to be found anywhere in any of this. I think I think he wants nothing to do with it. That's weird because it's like got to be the thing he's most famous for now, right? <laughs> NRS, if you're listening, okay, we know about the movie actor pack. If there is one, okay, you're getting Tyrone Wiggins as Rain. I don't know why, <laughs> but you are. You owe us all. To, you owe us. To, you owe this to us. Track down Lynn Red Williams and get us a Jacks pack. I'll throw the money at you. Come on. Come on. That's all I'm saying. I, was, I mean, what are you going to do? Chris Casamassa as Scorpion? <laughs> Jesus, it's sad. Man, they even got the girl that played Shiva. Anyway. 
So, Defenders of the Realm, how about that? Yeah, so Defenders of the Realm came out between the two movies. It's actually, like, continuing the continuity of the first film. So it's like its own branch off where Annihilation doesn't happen and this happens instead. Uh, the most notable thing about Jax in the cartoon is that he and Raiden have this uh, this back and forth uh, teasing each other, this like uh, where they snipe and shoot one-liners and they kind of get along but kind of don't. It's that kind of relationship. But the tone of these one-liners and the fact that uh, they keep calling each other girlfriend... <laughs> I mean, it was the mid-90s. I don't know what they were going for, but the the phrase that comes to mind for me is will and grace. How would you like to eat that, too? <laughs> Give it your best shot, girlfriend. <laughs> All right, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. I'm bringing it back. Everyone in the Discord right. is now peak acknowledged as girlfriend. The... Thank you it's for tuning like... in, girlfriends. They are they are sassy in a way that heterosexual men usually aren't. <laughs> They're just that comfortable. You can't you can't pin down your expectations on a god. Rain can be whatever he wants to be. I don't know. Maybe maybe and the writer said this is how black guys talk. <laughs> Jax is the strongest man on earth, and not just physically, emotionally. <laughs> he is that secure. I totally buy it. I fair enough. I mean, I will say Jax clearly is straight because there's an episode where uh, the premise of the episode is that he's, like, just tired of fighting Outworld and wants to, like, go home and give up. <laughs> so he goes back to, like, his grandpa's farm because his grandpa has died. This... You know, it occurs to me now that Jack's having a farm in his yes, family. Yes, way before MKX. I forgot about this. At this point, it's official. They have a whole hard drive full of every bit of media MK influenced. Oh, man. You know, they're, they're, they, they have to be. There are so many weird references to Defenders of the Realm in 9 and X. Like, the fact that Cassie has this whole team reminds me of, like, the Defenders and their Dragon Jets. <laughs> I mean, they kind of canonized Kiva. Misspelled it, but they did. Kiva. Kiva. Kia is a miserable slut. <laughs> I said Kiva. Kiva, I say Kiva, Kiva. is a magic wolf spirit. Anyway. So, so Jax goes back to the family farm. And he meets this girl named Ruby. Who is, for some reason, Threshold was obsessed with making versions of Jade who weren't Jade. Ah, uh, yes. Ruby. Now available Ruby is in your literally Jade Mugen. but red. She's in movies, and she's she uh, presents herself as a normal person, like a neighbor or someone who knew his grandpa. And the two of them spend a lot of time together and like fall in love. And then it turns out to be a trap sprung by Shao Kahn's forces. And Ruby is actually working for Khan. And then we find out that Ruby has a past. Her and Katana were friends and she feels bad about betraying Jax. And so she helps Katana get Jax free and she's been, she's Red Jade. I don't know why she exists. Drives me crazy. It's because <laughs> there's one rule in the Mortal Kombat universe is that you can't 
You can't manage an art studio in Chicago without being attacked by ninjas. You can't fall in love on a farm without being attacked by ninjas. <laughs> it's gonna happen. It doesn't matter what you do. You're gonna get attacked by ninjas. This is Mortal Kombat. I nothing, am... nothing can prepare you. I'm fine with the ninjas. <laughs> I just want to know why Ruby exists. <laughs> uh, maybe because they thought they'd get her in a game and they'd have to pay them licensing rights? Yeah, did they want to not interfere with Jade's arc? Because, like... I don't know, dude. Because there's a character who's not Jade in Conquest, too. <laughs> They've made thousands and of Mugen fans happy. they Jade in Annihilation, but she has a heel turn. Like, she's just Tanya. <laughs> I, am, I am so confused at what they thought that character was and why they needed to keep, like, making offshoots of it. Beats me, dude. Really beats me. The bit I remember most about Defenders of the Realm was that episode where, like... Okay, well, I, I owe this to Mortal Kombat stupidity on YouTube. Mm -hmm. But there's that bit where, like, Jax is having, I guess, confidence problems and he's climbing a mountain. And he's like, right. I can do this. I'm worth something. You know, <laughs> I'm not the fattest kid in school. And Reptile's just standing at the top and he just kicks yeah, him off all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> And then there's the animation See, error, where he's like in a plane. Your most famous Jax episode. The premise of the episode is that they are uh, they they go to uh, respond to a bunch of raptors portaling in and attacking Earthrealm, because that was the show. Every week there'd be a new portal from Outworld, and they have to go fly off and fight them. Uh, and it's weird because I wonder how. So there's a thing in Defenders of the Realm where every single place they have a fight is like a barren wasteland. And this is obviously like a the cartoon is adapting MK3. So I wonder, is Earthrealm currently in the middle of the invasion and all the humans have been wiped out? Is there a civilization? We never really see like normal people having lives in the entire show. We only see like abandoned buildings and like ship graveyards and like canyons you know... that have nobody there. <laughs> It's the um, it's the rule in the nineties about mentioning death or dying. In, well, in a, there's a in whole a episode show. where they fight the Black Dragon Gang, and it all takes place in like urban environments. But there's no other people in those places. It's all like dead and shut down. Well, they are. Th that's it, though. They are, they are dead. It's just that, like X Men, like Dragon Ball, you get sent to the next dimension. They just. Well, danced around the really fact that everyone was obviously dead. The realm is on for like 12 or 13 weeks. <laughs> uh, like, I forget exactly how long the season was, but it's that is the longest version there's ever been of Shao Kahn's, Shao, what? Shao Kahn's invasion, I'm sure. <laughs> and it's like, you have to wonder if you were in that situation... Do you just think, okay, the Earth is dead and we're the last living humans? <laughs> Can we bring them back? I guess... I feel like they didn't cover the, the depressing realities quite the way I would have liked. <laughs> but, but back to the episode. So Jax, they go to fight the raptors, and Jax gets acid spit on his metal arms. And he, like, has to rip out a control piece and throw it away because it's covered in acid. And then when they get back home to base, Jax realizes that without the microchip he just threw out, he can't use his arms. 
and and so he spends the episode having this crisis of like what good am i as a fighter without my bionic arms and it's like i mean they explore the same arc in annihilation where the theme always seems to be people telling jacks no you don't need those you're just as good a fighter without them when the whole point in mk3 was that they do make him better and that he doesn't have like confidence issues it's just a straight upgrade <laughs> i'm kind like, of what are you trying to do tell midway hey when Jax comes back at mk4 ditch the arms i mean i'm not gonna lie i didn't like them at first i got used to them i thought Jax was you know going into mk3 i thought Jax was fine the way he used to be i just kind I mean, of got used to it that's all I mean, Jax was only in one game before. I wasn't super attached to Jax without metal arms. I thought it was a cool new feature. It just it, it, it was in a game where, you know, suddenly you had people who were robots, and there was a guy with, like, a weird breathing mask and hook swords. Yeah, I mean, around. it does add to the whole theme of, like, MK3 is the one that added sci-fi. Yeah, and at, at the time, you know, Sector and Cyrex weren't immediately very, very popular. The whole sci-fi angle was at the time kind of out of nowhere, so I was yeah, like... Yeah, I mean, uh... MK3 was the one with the weird different tone, and MK4 was like a relief when it brought back the fantasy Yeah, it was, like, it was like going back to the darker gothic atmosphere a bit. But, uh... Which, don't get me wrong, MK3 still had that. But, I mean, I was still glad when they brought back Sector and Cyrax in gold. Like, so was I. By, I by never the time had a gold problem with out, the technology... Them. I had a problem with the setting, like the stages you fight in and the general feel of the storyline. And, I, you know, Ultimate had already fixed my problems with Vanilla 3, honestly, in terms of, like, all the tone and the urban stuff. Yeah, they it was made really, a bit more... it wasn't, I didn't have a problem with the addition of sci-fi. I had a problem with the subtraction of ninjas. <laughs> well, I had a problem with the bank, I'll tell you that. The, the new backgrounds were, were, were a very welcome touch. Yeah, I think it's sort of a, a shame because you look at the concept art for some of those backgrounds that are really boring in the game. The bank was supposed to have like a, a crashed helicopter sticking out of the windows. And corpses and, and the waterfront was supposed to have a Cthulhu monster in the water. Yeah, they and told me everything really are like because of the most boring stages in the game. MK3 got hit pretty hard by the... Uh... Okay, we generated too much controversy and movement. Let's just dial it back and make it a bit sillier and tone down I th everything. I think, I think some of that stuff was more of a, a rush to get the product out. It might have been. We just didn't have time to add in the helicopter. Yeah, but you think with like Ultimate and uh, Trilogy, they would have done it at some point. They, but... they could have. That's true. I don't. You know, priorities. Yeah. You got to get the Scorpion done before you worry about like adding an art asset to a background. <laughs> But, uh, Defenders of the Realm. So was that the same episode where, like, Jax gets into the jet, and he's like, I've never felt so naked and alone. Oh, yeah. And, then, and like, they there's an animation error in his hands from the skin, <laughs> and he looks naked. <laughs> that was the same episode, yes. Okay. Go to YouTube that shit. Because Jax freaks out. Everybody's telling him, no, you can still fight without your arms. He's like, no, I'm useless. I need that microchip. So he flies back to where they fought Reptile all by himself. And, uh... Or no, I think I think that Sonya goes off to get the chip for him, and, and they find out that Reptile has attacked her, and so he's going to rescue her, and he's, he's real... He's feeling real, like, unconfident about his ability to save her because he doesn't have the arm. 
And uh, and then it there's the hilarious moment of him climbing all the way up the cliff to get to where the fight is, and Reptile's just standing there and kicks him off. It's like fuck you, buddy. <laughs> Score one for our boy. But then, but then, like Reptile turns back. It's not even a Reptile, okay? Reptile died in the movie, oh, so this is right. another raptor named Como die. <laughs> right, that was their cheap replacement. Yeah. Yeah, so so Coma die turns back to taunt Sonia is like, ah, Jax is dead. That was easy. Fuck you. <laughs> and then Jax is like, aha, I'm back up the cliff and starts fighting him. And there's there's like he's like dodging behind rocks and he, he picks up a rock to block acid spit with. And it's not even a big rock, it just kinda looks silly. Fastest man on earth as well as the strongest. <laughs> Can't tell me I'm wrong. But yeah, he ends up winning the fight, and he's like, okay, so I can do it, but I still want my fucking arms. <laughs> and what and did we learn, my kids? Favorite, my favorite thing in the episode is that, like, when the arms are being repaired, Nightwolf is the one doing it. Like, Jax is supposed to have built these arms himself, but no, Nightwolf's the tech guy. It's gotta be Nightwolf. <laughs> Remember when E-Honda was hacking shit in Street Fighter, the animated series? <laughs> I sense a theme. Uh, The USA Network had some real weird ideas about uh, how to make characters more interesting. (laughs) And what did we learn, kids? Not a whole lot. So, is that for Defenders of the Realm? Is there any other cool trivia? Um, not really. All right, then. So I guess that brings us to MK Legacy. Yeah, because there wasn't really any media at all between uh, the Threshold era and right around MK9. Because that's when that's when the uh, Rebirth trailer came out. Uh, Kevin Tankerowin's fan fiction pitch. Ah, the thing I did not review earlier this evening, because fuck that. Man. Right, well, Legacy all kind of comes from Rebirth, so... The Rebirth trailer is a fairly simple premise. It's, uh, you have a mysterious guy in police lockup, and, uh, Sonia and Jax are two cops, and it's in this place called Deacon City. And, and they come into the interrogation room, and they start grilling this guy about how they want him to, uh, infiltrate this underground mob fighting ring which is run by the mobster Shang Tsung. And he has recruited a bunch of serial killers to fight in it that they're trying to apprehend, including the uh, flesh-eating guy who was born with Harlequin Ichthyosis Reptile and the uh, insane sadomasochistic plastic surgeon, Dr. Alan Zane, who calls himself Baraka. And then at the end, you find out that the guy they're interviewing is uh, Hanzo Hazashi Scorpion. And there's a shot of his pure white eyes. And that's the only hint that there's anything supernatural going on. But the the important things about how this leads into Legacy is that Sonya is played by Jerry Ryan, Seven of Nine from Star Trek Voyager. And Jax is played by Michael J. White also famous for Black Dynamite live-action Spawn. <laughs> you know what? I liked him. Yeah, he's a good Jax. Yeah. I I have no problem with him as Jax at all. 
it's it's funny because like so there's this sight gag at the beginning where you're seeing like the police precinct and there's a door it's like captain jackson briggs his name on the door but all of the letters except for j a c k s are faded and falling off the door <laughs> i see what you did there jack <laughs> it's just it's really like strained and unnecessary that kind of thing you know like in the real world jax is a nickname for jackson you don't need that <laughs> uh, the thing i like the most about uh mike's performance is that moment where he's wrestling with kano and they, they, they fire a grenade launcher, like, point-blank at the ground below them. And they just look at each other for a second. Oh, yeah, because it, it doesn't go off immediately. It's like, tick, tick, boom. <laughs> yeah. And, like, Jax looks at him, and he's like, man. This look of, like, <laughs> disdain and, and, like, spite on his face. He just, you fucked up, you idiots. Yeah, so so the legacy, like the jump from rebirth to legacy is interesting because Sonya Jacks Kano, that that two-parter was the first two episodes of the web series. And at that point the tone is obviously like the same as the rebirth trailer, like it's all very real world. Sonya and Jax are still cops instead of military for some reason. That's a weird obsession Tank Rowan had, depicting Sonya and Jax as cops instead of army. And I don't know why he did that and it kept happening because we haven't talked about it on the show much the the coming 2021 movie the the cole uh turner experience and i don't want to talk about it much but i do want to establish like the very first draft of the cole turner movie was written by oren uziel for kevin tanker owen all those years back when he was still trying to direct a movie and in that first draft, Jax is once again a fucking cop. He kept doing it. <laughs> huh. Apparently Michael J. White was also initially cast as Jax in the 1995 film and Annihilation. And he bowed out due to Tyson and then Spawn. Interesting. Sorry, I just came across I mean, that. I mean, given the choice... Between literally any project and Annihilation, I would choose the other project. <laughs> Spawn? I don't know. Man. I even, sp like, Spawn... Spawn wasn't a great movie, but the budget was clearly closer to the first MK. You know? Something like that. Hey, they both tracks, not complaining all that much. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so... So, the, the first two episodes of Legacy... The premise is your typical Sonya Jax Kano story. Uh, it starts off, there's this big warehouse, the Black Dragon is preparing all the, these uh, weapons for shipment, and you don't find out where they got them or where they're shipping them to till later, but across the series you find out that uh, the Black Dragon stole a bunch of uh, cybernetic technology from the Department of Defense and is selling them to the Lin Kuei. And this particular plot I have mentioned, I think should be part of the story in the canon games because they brought it all together connection, nice like where did the cyber ninjas come from? How, how does this cyber tech relate to Kano's eye, relate to Jax's arms? The fact that it's all connected, I like that. 
So they did have this one decent idea in the web series. And there's also there's a cool moment when the episode starts where you're seeing all these parts roll across an assembly line. And the first part that we get a really good look at looks like uh, Cyrax's helmet. Yeah, it's it's pretty clearly a prototypical Cyber Ninja head or something. Yeah. And then and then Kano, who doesn't hasn't lost his eye yet, is walking around inspecting things, and a guy comes up to him with like the prototype of the laser eyeball and and uh tells him about it. So you set up that he's by the end of the episode, he's gonna get that thing in his face. <laughs> uh there's some really strained dialogue about it though, like some really weirdly written cringe shit where yeah, like... the, the guy is trying to explain to him what the eyeball does and he won't just say it shoots a laser beam. He's like, uh, uh, weapon. It gives the desired effect. Directed at the target, something. So, like, he's, it's so vague unnecessarily. Normal people don't talk like this. He'd just say it shoots a fucking laser. There's that fear of getting too far into the fantastical again. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's so obviously like that they're trying to avoid what it is and seem more realistic and like it's almost Chris Nolan-y, but it's like not as It feels like It doesn't uh, have the finesse of a real movie like a Chris Nolan sort of thing would have. It it feels like a an imitation attempt. It feels it feels like a concession. It's like fine. You want you guys wanted this to be grounded in the in actual MK lore. Here you go. I'm gonna give Kano a metal like a, a laser eye, but I'm gonna explain exactly what it is so the casuals get it. Right, but the weird thing is, you know, they're trying not to say out loud what this shit is, and then Sonya is like off in the corner spying on them, preparing to like jump them, and she's got this weird high-tech uh holographic HUD projecting in front of her face that she's like radioing to Jax to. And then when the, she, so she gets captured and uh, then it cuts to the police precinct where uh, Jax and Stryker are uh, talking to a team about how they're about to move out and attack the black dragons and rescue Sonya. When, when the special, when the cops, <laughs> I can't even say special forces cause they're the cops. Yeah. When the cops attack the Black Dragon, there's another weird thing where they all have these sci-fi future guns that shoot, like, shockwaves instead of bullets. So it's like they're trying to not be fantastical, and then they throw this shit in, and it's just so muddled what the message is, and it's like, pick a fucking tone, buddy. <laughs> but... But most of the content of the episode is fine because we we get into a you know there's a big there's a bit of a firefight and then it goes hand to hand Kano versus Jax, and meanwhile it kept it cuts to Sonya, and she's like chained up with her uh, hands above her head in this uh, dungeony looking room in the warehouse, and she like she rescues herself she like pulls herself upside down from the chain and yanks it out of the roof. It's because there's like explosions going on while they're fighting, and it dislodges yeah. the it dislodges the link into the ceiling, and she's like, "Oh, okay, here I go." Yeah, so so she breaks herself free, and she she limps down a hallway, and she's trying to catch up to Jax. And by the time she gets to him, uh, Jax and Kano have like shot a grenade at the ground point blank in front of each other, and they're both sort of crawling to their feet, wounded. And then they sort of finish the fight, and Kano is woozy, and Jax punches his fucking eyeball out. 
and it like the think... eyeball splatters against against the camera. <laughs> I think what he actually like, because like I just watched like an, like an hour and a half ago. Like he's once Kano goes under the knife at the end of that. He, I think they actually take out pieces of bone as well. Yeah, see, like, that's the always the is like he punched him so hard he caved in half of his face. Well, that's sort of the canon story, isn't yeah. it? Like, that's what I liked the most about the episode, is that that's basically, according to Deadly Alliance, is how Kano lost his eye, is at some point back in the past, Jax punched him in the face so hard that he lost some of his skull. And that's why it's not just an eye, it's this whole plate. Yep. I do give them a lot of, a lot of kudos for doing their homework. Yeah, it's rare instance where they got something right and it's not the only one in the series but it's just like when they're when they're also doing all this nolany realism stuff you appreciate the little the few times where they don't fuck it up because <laughs> it's like yeah it's great that they got how he lost his eye right but also why is Jax a cop <laughs> something else so, i just uh... the episode there was so he punched Kano's eye out, but then there was another explosion, and and it cuts to Jax waking up in the hospital. And no, it cuts to Sonia. Sonia's and in the hospital, and yeah. Stryker's talking to her, and they're by the way in front of a terrible green screen. Uh, for those, like you can see, like these are fake trees out there. It's terrible. Well, yeah. apparently they shot the whole thing in that same where that warehouse was a closed down mental asylum, and that's that was their shooting location for I think the entire series. Amazing. The entire first season, anyway, because they also do the whole Raiden episode in a mental asylum. They do uh, when they do the Lin Kuei sector in Cyrax. It well, this explains a lot about like that. the Raiden episode now. <laughs> <laughs> Christ. But yeah, you get uh, Sonya waking up in the bed and Stryker's talking to her and she's like, how was Jax? And Stryker says, well, when the grenade blew up, he shielded you as best he could, but they took, but he took a lot of damage to his back and what they're really worried about is his arms. There's the setup. Right, right. And then they set up that the, like, the, the Department of Defense is going to take care of him. Which... You know, if there had ever, if if Michael J. White had ever come back, he'd have had the arm, theoretically. But uh, neither him nor Sonya are in season two, and Stryker is played by a different actor. <laughs> <sighs> what could have been? If only they continued giving a shit. I really wonder what happened. I oh yeah, that's I think right. I think the guy who played Stryker in season two, Eric Jacobus, mm -hmm. was a better choice. Yeah, probably. You know, I've, I've seen, he does a lot of uh, stunt work, and he has a lot of videos on YouTube. He has a whole series where he uh, demonstrates the fighting styles of every character in Tekken, and he just goes through their moves list and does all the moves accurately. So he actually is a game geek. That's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, like Eric Jacobus is a really cool guy who knows stuff about video games and should probably be getting more parts in video game movies. One of us. One of us. Hey, did you know that Tyrone Wiggins was actually a stunt double for Lynn Williams in MKA? He was also Jax. <laughs> and he was a stunt double on the MK Live Tour. Of course he was. Uh, Tyrone Wiggins. He was always everywhere, we just didn't know. <laughs> and now he's coming back. 
in theory. I mean, that TW could mean anything, man. <laughs> it's Tyrone. It's Tyrone's time. Hear us, Tyrone? We love you, baby. You're the best reign ever. I, he's, he's been waiting 20 years for his chance. <sighs> he was discarded once. It when Sha- when Shao Kahn said again. it will never happen again, he didn't count on DLC, brother. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's Jax in Legacy. And uh, yeah, props to Michael J. White. Good fucking job. I wish he'd had more yeah, to do. No, I, but You know, I, I like... I think Michael J-, J. White is a great pick for Jax, and it would be great to see him get to play Jax in something good. <laughs> you know? You mean you wouldn't just uh, jump to Terry Crews? I, I think Terry Crews is getting a little old for action parts. Maybe. I've only started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine over the past couple of years, and I can't deny he's got the physique. I mean, he's he's probably still in good shape. I just, I feel like I see him in the uh, in the Expendables, and he doesn't do a lot of stunts. You know, he's he's mostly there to be Terry Crews because Terry Crews is funny and he's good at like the the snappy one liners and stuff. But like, he sits out the entire third Expendables movie. Like they wrote him out. They had him get injured and spend the whole movie in the hospital. And I wonder how much of that is because Terry Crews is getting a little old for action. How old is he now anyway? I don't know. He's got to be like late forties at least. Arnold's still going. Yeah. No, he's 52, dude. He's 52. I mean, I wasn't that far off. I'm just saying like Terry Crews is great, but I don't know if he can pull off like, MK2 Jax and the fighting scenes, he'd be more like good for if you're making a movie where Jackie exists and Jax is an older guy. I think I could still buy it either way. Right makeup, Maybe. you can make it work. And he I, wants you know, to do it too. He'd probably, probably pull it off, certainly. But He wants to do it, and I say give him a shot if it ever shows, if it ever actually happens. I mean, if he wants to do it, my only advice would be like save it for when they're not making the shit show they're making now. Yeah, this is which... true. Terry, Again, Terry, that movie's don't. not out yet, but it has been filmed, and it's supposed to come out, I guess, January of next year. Which, if you know anything about the movie industry, you know January is a big red flag. Yeah, um, and that's even that's even like not even taking COVID into account and whether there will be delay there. If it's a normal year for movies, and your movie is slated for January, yes. it means the studio knows it's crap. This thing needs to like go right to Netflix and stat. Yeah. Like, so in in the 2021, the Cole Turner experience, uh, Jax is going to be played by the guy who plays uh, Jimmy Olsen on the Supergirl TV show. Which, I don't know who that is. Uh, he's not he's not exactly thick with two C's. Let's put it that way. He's, I don't know that he's in the right shape for a character like Jax at all. <laughs> also, like, Supergirl is not exactly the best acted of the CW DC universe. Okay, I'm looking at the guy right now. No. No. I he's, can't he's see a little it. skinny, isn't he? he? He doesn't have the build. I would say he doesn't have the face either. No. This is bad casting. <laughs> well, did they just pick a black guy? No, it doesn't it, work it like that. It seems like they might have just they might have had a budget 
and picked a black guy is what it is. <laughs> Sadly, probably right. Yeah, I don't I don't think this movie is going to look forward to in the least. <laughs> but enough about that. Last on our list, I guess, is Scorpion's Revenge. Yeah. Uh I actually I really like how they use Jax and Scorpion's Revenge because uh like I said last episode, I'm not super happy with the idea of Ermac being the one to take Jax's arms. Like, if you're going to do the thing where instead of them being gloves, he can take on and off, he actually loses his arms and they are prosthetics. That's probably I don't have a problem with that idea inherently. I just think it should be it should be done to him by a character who matters. And if you have somebody like Ermac do it, if you have somebody like Kintaro burn Cabal, and then Cabal doesn't want revenge on Kintaro, he just wants revenge on Shao Kahn and Kano... Again, you're just you're sort of assigning these um you're you're writing by the numbers and you're putting jobbers in filler slots is okay, what that you, is. But you know what though? If someone like Kintaro does it, I think that's a good choice. Well, if Kintaro did it to Jax's arms, I would at least want it to be staged in such a way where it's designed to build up Kintaro as the guy to beat at MK2's tournament. Like, See, if you use too. it to promote him for, like, to push him as the guy. Because Ermac wasn't really ever, like, every time he shows up in MK9, he gets, like, a big flashy entrance. But then he just gets his ass kicked. Like, Ermac was never really written in such a way that you got the impression that he was the strongest. I think that they're, I think that they're trying to cash in on his reputation as, like, the ultimate secret character, you know? Well, yeah, the, kind of, I mean, to some degree counting on the fans to remember in, that he was this theory, guy that you could, you know, use everyone's moves and all that bullshit. In theory, Ermac should be a holy shit, I have to fight him type of character because if you go He's all the way back to Deception, yeah. he beats five guys by himself and they're not like, it's Johnny Cage, Sonya Jax, Kung Lao, and Katana at the same time. That's a big deal. And I think Nine was sort of like, okay, people know Ermac is the guy, but they didn't... It felt half-assed. Yes, I agree. Because because then he'd have a fight with a guy like Stryker and lose. They didn't protect him. You know, they didn't really take care of that reputation and push him as a boss-type character. MK9 was not good about assigning, like, proper fights to anyone. We know this. Right, but that's that's what I like about the way Scorpion's Revenge does it, because... If you look back at how MK9 used Goro, you have the same problem. Like, the traditional way that we imagine seeing MK1 told, Goro is always, like, at the beginning of the tournament, he's teased or he comes out and you see him for the first time and he's like, everybody is really scared of him and like, holy shit, how can we beat something that has four arms and is eight feet tall? Everything else in this tournament is just a human being. What the fuck? You know, there's always a buildup. And in MK9, they didn't. Okay, you know, he but... doesn't show up until he fights Liu Kang. And right before that fight, Johnny Cage goes, what's a Goro? Meaning he literally hasn't heard the name of the title holder at the tournament. Ra Razor? Razor. Yeah. We've been talking about how MK9 is bad for the last five minutes. It's happening again. You I have just, to go it's... to therapy. We've talked about this. The context is necessary to compare how we can abbreviate revenge. We can uses, abbreviate Kano, uses Goro properly. It does. 
It does. Jax, Jax is basically the art lean of Scorpion's Revenge. Where it's... Art lean was this made-up character who existed just to job. So when it happens to a name character, there's a little more to it. It adds even more to the whole, this is the moment where Goro shows off how strong he is and what a big threat he is and sets up the, the fucking drama, the tension for the entire tournament. So the fact that Jax loses his arms there really reinforces the story in the right way. Correct. And that's what I like about it. Goro has four arms and he's made to rip someone's arms off. And I'm glad he finally got around to doing it in a form of media that actually mattered. That's why I like it. And honestly, yes, in a retelling, I would give it to Kintaro to specify him as a threat, like you said, being the guy to beat and... Not it, just because he provides, happened to be in the background like Ermac was in Nine, which I you know it, it provides another another uh, bonus to the story too. Because since since this is this is like an exhibition, just Goro showing off, the tournament hasn't started yet. It gives Raiden an opportunity to do what Raiden is supposed to do, and show up and go. No, this is not. You can't just rip my guys apart before the tournament's even started. That's yes. against the fucking rules. <laughs> Also enjoyed the fact that even armless, he decided he, he still killed he still killed Kano. Maybe it was Maybe. quite a boot stomp. I wouldn't be surprised if Kano comes back in the sequel, but he. I mean, his faceplate was pretty dented inward. <laughs> like there was straight up dun 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 fatality noise there. I feel like he's supposed to be dead. But we'll see. I, I feel like he's supposed to be dead, but he'll be back anyway. Probably. <laughs> just like Baraka was just like Baraka's gonna survive being buried under a building. I think um I think we will be incredibly lucky to get a sequel in the first place. I'm still waiting to hear that's been greenlit. I hope it did well. I mean, the thing was apparently very successful. <sighs> Crossing my fingers, man. I really wanted to if anything, I would just say that maybe talks were put on hold while they were trying to figure out whether or not WB wanted to sell the MK license. Because there was that period where, where they were going to put WB games up for sale. And well, if that had happened, which it's not going to now, they've decided, no, this is too valuable, we're just going to keep it. It'll make us more money if in games instead of as one lump sum. But when they were talking about selling it, if they had done that then obviously WB's animation department would not have had access to the MK license in the same way anymore. Because the license was supposed to come with an NRS. Well, hopefully now that the dust has settled and we've established that they're not going anywhere, let's get part two out, buckos. It's been oh, long enough. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm going to be very disappointed if that never happens. Start a Twitter campaign. We should do that. But yeah, I got. I gotta say, like, Jax loses his arms pretty early in in the movie, and he spends the rest of it in a dungeon waiting to be rescued. And the whole time, I'm sort of, I'm really feeling for him because it's like, what if that guy has an itch that he needs to scratch on his nose? You know? Ah, <laughs> uh, can't even turn around and rub it against a wall. Like, Although I have to imagine that, like, the searing pain. 
might uh I don't know. Well, I mean, the wounds were cauterized. <laughs> that that probably doesn't make it any better, though. It really does. I'm sure it still hurts. But I got I just I can't imagine what it would be like to not have arms. How horrible that would be. <laughs> you know, I've, not to sidetrack us. Or anything, and he's surprisingly but I, I, chill, despite because you know they're they're on the boat ride home at the end of the movie. And he's just he's just standing there, and he's like talking to Johnny. He's like, "She didn't hit you in the nuts, did she?" Like he's he's got a good sense of humor still, despite being fucking armless. <laughs> he already knows what's waiting for him at home. He's gonna get him some metal arms. He's gonna be fine. <laughs> he's read ahead in the script. <laughs> he's from the house of Wanda Briggs. He doesn't he doesn't sweat this shit. <sighs> All right, we'll go with that. So is that it? Is that uh, all she wrote for Jax tonight? That is uh, that is pretty much all the Jax appearances in outside media. That only took us, uh, what? Just coming up on an hour and a half, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's in a lot of stuff. But in most of that stuff, he has a fairly small part. <laughs> you know, I feel like we just, like we didn't discuss the greatness of him in Annihilation enough. But that's because there's just so much of it, you know? Because probably it's been like an hour dissecting every scene he's well, in. Well, so, so, there's, so there's a thing about the editing of a Lost episode where Smoke Man sort of waits for us to say a quote before he puts the quote in, the, the sound clip that he's ripped. I just want to say, don't do that this time. Just at random places, just drop Lynn Red Williams quote <laughs> throughout the episode. That's the way I want to listen to this back. <laughs> agreed. Totally agreed. Like, no context, just randomly here and there. Just just do that. That's chef's kiss. <laughs> I edit these as I go, man. Tell me these things beforehand. I'm not fucking rearranging everything. All right, NRS. You heard us. Track down Lynn Red Williams and get him into Eleven. You know you can... I believe you can do it. You've got WB backing you up. Find that man. Find him and throw money at him. Then we'll throw money at you. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> and that's what we'll get. That's what we want. And on that note, we'll be back very soon. We've got some very special stuff planned for the immediate future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Take it easy. Yeah. We're getting to the good stuff now. Think about the MK2 roster. Think about who we haven't done yet. <laughs> Twinsies! <laughs> good night, folks. Uh, good night, everybody.